The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. Archbishop Jeffrey Fisher wrote, The Anglican Communion has no peculiar thought, practice, creed, or confession of its own. It has only the Catholic faith of the ancient Catholic Church, as preserved in the Catholic creeds and maintained in the Catholic and Apostolic Constitution of Christ's Church from the beginning. This week, our introduction to Anglicanism continues as we unpack how Anglicans express their faith. To guide our discussion, we're going to be using Thomas McKenzie's book, The Anglican Way. This is a fantastic resource for anybody who's interested in getting to know more about the Anglican way of being a Christian. You'll find a link uh, to get a copy yourself in the description. To follow along with this week's discussion, I want to highly recommend that you download a copy of our PDF, The Compass Rose. The image that's contained in The Compass Rose will help you to visualize our discussion as we together begin diving into what Anglicans believe and how they live out those beliefs together. charismatic end of the spectrum. Now, at the other end, the north end of the spectrum, we have orthodox. Now, when I say orthodox, I do not primarily mean the orthodox church. Just like when I say Catholic, I don't primarily mean the Catholic church. There are things that are true about the orthodox church, and we're going we're gonna to highlight a few of those things. But what, what orthodox means is right belief and right prayer. The, the, the doxos doesn't mean the same thing as, as, as it doesn't have a, a, a clear, simple translation in, in, into English. Um, so it, so orthodox, ortho means right. Doxos is the last part of that. It means both practice and, and, and belief and prayer. Um, so Anglicans are orthodox. Anglicans believe in, in right belief and right prayer. What does that look like? <clears throat> the first one is that um, somebody who is on the orthodox end of the spectrum is into historical theology. Which means that they're not really interested in whatever is, is new or exciting or interesting mm-hmm. in talking about God. They want to look back at how did Christians in the first century talk about God? Um, I definitely lean that, I mean, to you, just in today's sermon, like, mm-hmm. there's something to me that is powerful about sitting down and reading, uh, reading a rule of life from the first or second century. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to say, like, when normal Christians, normal everyday Christians sat down and, and they said, here's what living the Christian mm-hmm. life looks like. You sit down and you read the Didache and you realize this is 1900 years ago, mm-hmm. that this is the way that Christians were talking, and it, mm-hmm. it, it lines up very much with what, what Christians in our experience. So, so the, the, the theology is tied to the history of the church, whereas in, in, in other ones, it's tied, to, um, it's tied to the authority of the church, or it's tied only to what Scripture has to say, or it's tied only to whatever the Spirit happens to be doing. This one ties our theology, the way the, the way that we believe and, and what we believe about God and God's actions to the way that this has been done in, in the in the history of the church. An Orthodox person is is going to seek out fatherly guidance. And this has to do with the way that authority is used in in an in, in an Orthodox church. So in a in a, a charismatic is going to say that authority 
has has to I what what I know about Christ I know because of what I've experienced in Christ and what I do is whatever the Holy Spirit is guiding me to do okay on the other end of that the Orthodox person is saying what I believe about Christ is what the church has taught about Christ the way that the church has talked about Christ in Scripture and 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 in the and, and in the fathers and I do that because the way that our family as a church is constructed is there are fathers in the church, and the fathers are there to lovingly guide us toward proper behavior, toward proper belief. So that goes back to that proper belief, proper prayer. The, the, the father's role is to guide toward proper practice. Um, so in theology, they're going to look back at the church fathers. Here are our, this literally the name is the anti-Nicene, the Nicene, the post-Nicene fathers. That's the way we talk about them. We're, we're doing a study on the desert fathers. Um, which is a funny word because half of them that we're going to talk about are women. Uh, but they refer to women mystics in, in the Orthodox, in the Eastern tradition, as fathers. They are also fathers of the church because it has to do with the way that they guide God's family. So this is, again, this is going to be individualistic on, on this end of the spectrum. The Orthodox Catholic side is going to be we-focused. Um, and so it's going to be about us as a family. Like, how do we as a family move forward? There's that family language. And so oftentimes you will find, uh, you will find people that lean this direction. Uh, if they're Anglicans who are priests that lean this direction, um, sometimes it's really important for them to say, I'm in charge because, because I'm the priest. Mm -hmm. And so they will, they, they will exert authority that way. More often than that, you will find people who are referred to by the congregation, not because the priest tells them to, but because, they, because the community believes in that way, and they'll refer to the priest as father, father so-and-so, um, because that's the way that authority is exerted, not sort of a top-down authority, but just, no, this is a family, and that's dad. That's, that's, how, that's how dad leads the family. Um, so prayer, prayer and example. Or like, I guess, a rabbit trail, because growing mm -hmm. up, we always had, like, I guess elders or de not deacons. I guess they were elders that mm -hmm. kind of control the church. The right. pastor, the dinner. So for say Aiden's, you're the final say. So you're the authority, and the vestry just gives you like suggestions, kind of like in the military. Yeah, sort of. The vestry is the um, the vestry is composed composed entirely entirely of laypersons, mm -hmm. so not clergy. Yeah. Um, and I am. The, the way that the, the the way that it is is structured is that the church is both a commu a faith community and a uh, and a corporation a nonprofit corporation so the vestry is the board for the nonprofit gotcha. corporation okay. so they're in charge of um, they're in charge primarily of finance and building yeah. maintenance that's okay. that's their job got it um, I also go to them to I look to them for uh, for advice about like spiritual life. They'll, they'll they'll come and you know tell me so you know this family is hurting. Mm -hmm. Let's let's find a way to, to deal with that or right. you know that kind of thing. Like they they still function as that, but but as as Anglicans, typically a vestry is just a board of directors. That's that's that, that's all that the vestry does. Okay. Our church is small enough that that we have to blend. Normally there's there's a pastor there's a pastoral council. Or a minister or a ministry council mm -hmm. where all of the people who are leading ministries in the church get together Got and they it. deal with ministry needs. Okay. And then there's the vestry that deals with like, here's the budget, and here's how we here's you know here's the, the funds that we're managing okay. and all of that. And those are separate. But our church is not quite yet a parish. We're at 47 members, and you have to have 50 members oh, sure. uh, to be uh, to be a parish. And so we're not actually a parish, we're a mission. And in a mission, those all get sort of put in together. And so there's just a, a mission council. We call it a vestry uh, because the group we were a part of before being in St. Aidan's uh, used that language. The, the, the church, we're the, in, in the, the ACNA, we use the language of mission and parish. And the other, the, the other group we were with didn't do that. Um, Interesting. Okay. Because yeah, we had a... Parish Advisory Council Parish at the advisory chapel uh -huh. on base, mm -hmm. and I got to be the the chair of that, and it was just, just like you said, they all like the different ministries. So they had the women's ministry, and then, but uh -huh. it was all Protestant, right? The Protestant side of everybody coming in with the ministries, and then right. we go uh -huh. over the budget, right? And then talk about different ideas. So mm -hmm. okay, so in 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 Scripture, they use the word uh, they they'll, they'll use that phrase elder. Mm -hmm. um, the word elder there is episcopos, so oh, so okay. it's it, it's bishop. So an elder in in 
scriptural parlance is is just that. It's it, it's the bishop. There, the the role of of the priest doesn't show up until quite a bit later, um, okay. at least a hundred years later. And I think maybe we mentioned this, but it was probably a while back. Um, the bishop was there was a church in a particular city, and the people from the surrounding communities made a journey once a week or as often as possible to the city and that's where the elder the the bishop was um he had some he had some assistants whose job it was to take care of poor people during the day especially in those outlying communities and so they were called the the church's servants or the or, or diaconos so they're the deacons okay, got it. so you have the elder and you have the deacons um and what happened is there there was a those smaller communities, those outlying communities, got bigger and bigger and bigger, and there were too many people to, to journey into the, in, into the town. And so the bishop would hold a Eucharist, and then he would reserve the Eucharist and send it out with, with his assistants. And those assistants then began taking on pastoral roles. Okay. And so that's where the priesthood developed. Those assistants became priests, and they usually had a deacon with them. And the deacon helped take care of the, the poor and, and the shut-in and the widows and the orphans. The deacon helped with those things so that the, 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 priest, carries on, the, the priest carries on the bishop's work. Uh, in as 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 a Eucharistic minister, so mm -hmm. he is so he he takes on that fatherly guidance, and uh, and the bishop takes on that role of of servant and and helper alongside them, and then that of course that that changes over time, but like that like in in an Orthodox church, the the archbishop is referred to as the metropolitan, mm -hmm. um, and that's why because he's the head of the city. Got so, it. so you have one bishop who's the head of the city, and he has other bishops who eventually become other priests who are out in in smaller areas, um, and that's where yeah that that's where all of that comes from. So, so we've got historic theology, fatherly guidance, and then there is we're going to call this uh, sanctity of worship, and sanctity of worship works out in a couple of different ways. Um, the good way of being of, of having sanctity of worship is that. Uh, when we get together and worship, the way the, the, the worship is the central event that ties a parish together. The parish is a parish because it's a group of families uh, and individuals who come together and worship around the table. Like that's that's their the center of their family life is the dinner table, and so that's where the the, the larger family, the parish family, gathers together. Sometimes, though, sanctity of worship, and 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 so, and and along with that. The way that we worship around that table is important. We say certain things in, in this way because it's important to say these things in this way. The trouble with sanctity of worship is that if, if that becomes, uh, it, is, the, it, is that the worship itself can become an idol. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, the worship itself can, the worship can become the, the end in and of itself rather than the means through which we encounter Christ. The purpose of our worship is for us as a believing community to be formed into Christ's image. That's why we worship the way that we worship. But if worship becomes the end instead of the means, uh, then then we get into fights over, you know, well, you changed you changed this this line um, in in our there there was there was a large argument among Anglicans in the Confession. So in in the the morning prayers, this is our this is our common worship. This is the the prayer book that we use at Saint Aidan's. It, it's the the newest prayer book uh, from the Church of England. The downside to this is this does not have updated language in it. So it still says the. So it still says the the these and thous and and, and all of those. Mm -hmm. It uses the original prayers from the original prayer book. This is the 1662 prayer book. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. What does that mean? We followed too much the devices and desires of our What, what is a device? Mm -hmm. Right? Big old shoulder shrug. Nobody has any idea. So in the new prayer book, they changed it. And so now it says, we follow too much the deceits and desires of our own hearts. The deceits and desires. And you're like, well, I can see how you would use the word device, and that could be a, a deceitful way of using it. Like, it, it makes sense, right? 
But there are Anglicans who literally will try to excommunicate each other because somebody somebody prays deceits and somebody else prays desires or, or devices. Huh. Um, and we make fun of them, but at the same time, we've also, you know, there, there, was, there was a church to which I belonged once upon a time that had a huge, uh, a huge falling out over the color of the carpet. Uh, for them, they didn't have a liturgy, but the space in which they worshipped functioned as a liturgy. Mm -hmm. And so a change in that liturgy made, made people feel like they were alienated, like this wasn't their home, this wasn't their church anymore. And so it's easy for whatever that liturgy, whether it's a liturgy of space or, or what have you, it's easy for that to become idolatrous. And we have to guard against that without saying without saying that our worship ought to be flexible. We, ought, we should just be able to say whatever we want, whenever we want. Like, no. <laughs> I've been in charismatic churches where people said some really crazy and horrifying things, uh, and I don't want that either. So it's important for our worship to be to 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 be calm and collected, but it shouldn't become a golden calf. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, and then the last one is I. I think I can't remember what Father Thomas says, but I I call this aesthetics. Um, and it's tied to that sanctity of worship. The, the space in which we worship matters. It, we, we tell a story in, in our worship with our bodies. We tell our, a story in our worship with our words. And we tell a story in our worship with our home, with, with, with the, the, the house in which we worship. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot of care that's paid to making things beautiful. And in our space, we surround ourselves with icons because we recognize, and the, the Celts did this as well, although their icons were painted on the walls. Um, they, they, they had wattle and daub, right? Um, and that was usually covered with either a plaster or a lime wash. So, so the inside of the churches were just white, and they brought in artists, and they covered the walls with illuminated, uh, like, a, like an illuminated manuscript. So, but, but the point was that everywhere you looked, because they recognized that I might not know Latin all that well, and the priest might be droning on, or I've heard this passage. You know, there's, there's, there. During the Easter liturgy, we we read the the passage of the Exodus, and it's like a chapter and a half long. And it's really cool the first time, and the, <laughs> the eighth or ninth time you go through it, mm -hmm. you're like, okay. Let's, we, we should streamline this, and your mind begins to wander. And it's just, that's just the way that life is. Our minds wander. We, we prayed that this morning during, during our thing. Get, 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 deliver us, Lord, from cold hearts and from wandering minds, uh, that, we might, that we might perceive you in word and sacrament. Aesthetics means that when our minds wander, they wander toward things that are beautiful and true. Um, and so and, and so that's why the space is set up the way that it is. It's set up that way here. It's set up that way in any church that leans toward the Orthodox. Now it doesn't mean that if you go that, that if you go into a church, it's going to have uh, you know it, it's going to have all of these you know icons and 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 pictures of saints and things. You can go into a Baptist church that is that 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 is on the Orthodox end of this spectrum that is evangelical and Orthodox. Really, I would say that Baptists typically fall in between these two. So they're not they're 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 typically not going to lean toward charismatic. They're going to lean toward orthodox. And so, and so they have paid very careful attention to the way that pews are lined. They have paid careful attention to the kinds of colors that have been used in the stained glass. The stained glass usually isn't going to contain pictures, but it, it's going to contain colors. And those colors create sense of, a, a sense of beauty, a sense of otherness, a sense a, a sense of 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 awe in in their space. Uh, the, the way that they clean, the way that the, the, the people are dressed, all of this is is mm -hmm. is key to that same thing. So it doesn't. So when I say aesthetics, it doesn't always mean there's going to be icons and there's going to be crosses and all of those things. It, it means that there is attention paid to to the, the, the physicality of our of our worship. Um, but again, just like you can go into uh, in, into an extreme on on the charismatic end, you can still end up in in those uh, in those extremes uh, where where there is bullying and there is clickishness and there is idolatry. If you if, if you run off the end of the spectrum on the orthodox side, Anglicans are in between. We're going to be we believe that we experience God here, present with us, right here, right now, but that God is. Holy God is other. God is God is something that we are perceiving and longing and hungering for, and we are reaching for that. So that God is here and God is our experience with God is that He is here and there, 
Um, and we're okay with that. We're okay with that tension between those two points. Those are the four primary ends. Anglicans are evangelical and Catholic and charismatic and orthodox. Um, oh, no, and I did it again. I forgot about my books. So for charismatic, I'm going to recommend this book is by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is, I think, I may be wrong. I'm pretty sure Eugene Peterson is uh, Presbyterian. Um, but this book is about the ways that the places in our life, everyday life, that we encounter God. Of these books, th these two books that I'm about to recommend are the most um, cerebral. I tried to pick books that were accessible. This book is very accessible, um, but but it's it, it's kind of a big book. So Christ Plays in Ten Thousand Places by Eugene Peterson. the The one for the Orthodox end is from Michael Ramsey. Now Michael Ramsey is the uh, is, is was the Archbishop of Canterbury. Who, uh, who came right after Jeffrey Fisher, whose quote we read at the very beginning. So Jeffrey Fisher, 1965, I think, Michael Ramsey takes over. And this book by Michael Ramsey is called The Anglican Spirit. And in The Anglican Spirit, Archbishop Ramsey talks about, uh, about all of these things. He covers the history of Anglicanism, but he wants us to understand our, our theology as being historical and fatherly. He wants us to understand where our worship and our sense of aesthetics comes from, how we relate to other people. So, so for, for the orthodox end of the spectrum, Michael Ramsey, the, the Anglican spirit. Like I said, all of these books, I, I literally just went through and plucked them off of the shelf uh, before you guys got here. So the next, uh, the, the next one is where? We're going to do the do be. All right, so do is activism so this is the what is this northeast and southwest the northeast and the southwest and the opposite of activism is going to be contemplative okay activist and contemplative anglicans are both activist and contemplative what do we what when you hear about activism what does that make you think about Protesters, yep, yep, absolutely. So Anglicans have always been protesting and getting into politics from the very beginning. And the reason for that is that Anglicanism from the beginning was tied into the politics of the state. Um, that's, that's just part and parcel with Anglicanism. Anglicans are tied into, uh, in, into the state's power, which sounds bad, and we need to be careful about. Um, but we also need to remember that the system of government, the idea of, of autonomy and individual rights, individual votes, that we as Americans have, we inherited from English law. Um, we developed it in a different way than the English law developed it, but we inherited it from that same common origin. Um, and, so, and, and so Anglicanism, is tied into that political structure because Anglicans believe that they have the authority and the job to speak truth to power um, because that power is connected to them. So, so what England does, the Church of England is responsible for. This is the way that, that the Church of England sees this. So, so, the, so the House of Lords, so, so uh, bishops are, are seated in the House of Lords. That's, that's just part of, of English law. So for us, that would be like each, each church's leader it has, uh, has a seat in the Senate, um, which to us, that, that's like mind-blowing. Like, what? Um, and they don't typically have, they, typically they don't vote, um, but they still have a seat. They still understand it that way. So, so I, I point that out because... Um, for instance, there are, you're, we're familiar, of course, with Desmond Tutu, uh, who's the Archbishop of South Africa, Anglican Archbishop in South Africa, who is responsible for overthrowing apartheid, overthrowing this this racist, violent government regime that that was that, that was set up in in that part of the world, and he did that because uh, because of his commitment to to his Anglican beliefs, to to these to to the other ends of the spectrum, because he believed. And, and was evangelical, orthodox, Catholic, charismatic. Because of those things, the way that he interacted with government policies was, was to do that. Um, the, the, my, my personal favorite is, of course, William Wilberforce, who is the reason that, that slavery ended in the Western world. Um, it started with England, and then it moved elsewhere. But it started with William Wilberforce and a friend of his and a pastor of theirs. The, the, the three of them together are the reason that slavery ended 
in 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 the Western world, um, and they did that because they because they, they didn't do it because they thought slavery was bad. They did it because they believed that slavery was evil, that that there was wickedness that was tied into the state, and so they confronted the state and they confronted the powers that be, including religious powers, uh, and they and they did that in such a way that they overturned it because they they believed that. The, the Anglican is called to do justice and to love mercy and to pursue truth. Okay? Those are the values for Anglican activism. Now, it is obviously we have experienced people who just run all the way off the end of the spectrum on that line, who, who as Anglican activists who are just so far off the end of that spectrum that you don't even recognize Christianity in them anymore, much less activism. Mm -hmm. But that said, this is central to Anglicans. Anglicans have always believed that, that, that we as Christians have a responsibility to advocate within, within the halls of power, whatever the context happens to be, whether it's, it, it's Anglicans who were, who were confronting uh, the corrupt powers in India or those in China. Those, uh, the, the, the most recent version of that is, uh, is the work the Anglican Church did in Australia. Uh, in, to to uh, to combat racism and abuse against indigenous peoples in in Australia, um, but this continues to go on today. Anglicans believe that that's a part of it. Now the other side of that is contemplative. What does it mean to be contemplative? What do you think it means to be a contemplative? Kind of internalize everything, mm -hmm. and you just don't do anything about it. You just mm. say, "Hey, I'll pray about it." Or, mm -hmm kind of come to mind the the Anabaptists they're mm -hmm. very like no we don't want anything because we just we're learning about this in ethics right they didn't want to do anything with the government they think it's kind of evil mm -hmm. and uh so they just separate themselves and say you know let's you know they can they can pray about it but they're not going to actually take any action towards right, doing something mm -hmm. God acts. Yes, yes absolutely yeah. Which mm -hmm. you can see that kind of going hand in hand with the charismatic. Well, the Holy Spirit will deal with it if you're yeah. way far on both ends. Yes. Kind of deal. Uh huh. Absolutely, Kim. Yeah, I've seen people go to that extreme. Mm -hmm. The only thing worth doing is being in a prayer room, praying 24 hours a day. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and you don't have to be. I, I know it ends up between Catholic and Orthodox, but it doesn't have to be uh, a, a Catholic impulse necessarily. There's mm -hmm. there's there's a whole new movement. You know that that you've probably heard of called called the Benedict Option. That is that. It's this idea of of stepping back and just creating faith communities that are that are as disengaged from the world around them as they can be. Um, I don't happen to agree with that way of approaching things because I don't think Benedict did that. And, and and anyway, that's a that's a bunny trail. We don't need to go down today. Um, but for the for the contemplative, yes, what what you said. They're going to focus on prayer and they're going to focus on mindfulness. They're going to focus on reflection like what does it look like for for me to 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 experience god right here and right now so so this is 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 christianity something that we do or is it something that we are this is the the do and the be and of course as anglicans we're going to say yes yes anglicans are activists and we are contemplative because christianity is something that we are but it's also something that we do right we we are absolutely called to uh, to pursue justice. We are absolutely called to pray and wait for God to show up. Both of those things are things that, that Anglicans are, are called into. And so we are on that spectrum. We don't know where the intersections between all of those points are. We've sort of, you know, touched on that before, uh, but that's the contemplative side. So if you're looking for resources on what, what activism can look like, um, last year during um, during Epiphany, we read this book by David Anderson. It's called Gracism. Um, and it's a fantastic book that is all about how we can include people in our lives and our communities that we forget about. What does it mean to, to pay careful, close attention to the people who are around us uh, so that we can create inclusive spaces uh, in our lives and in our homes? The other book that I that, that, that I pulled off the shelf is a great one called When Helping Hurts. This is by Corbett and... Uh, was his name? Fickert. Fickert. Corbett and Fickert. Um, this is a book that is all about how we can um, how we can engage in acts of charity without perpetuating systems that keep people in 
in, in, in poverty and in oppression. And we do that without thinking about it. We do that when we relate to people in other countries. We do that when we relate to poor neighbors in our communities. Um, we think that we're helping them when, in fact, what we're actually doing with, with all, of our, all of our programs and all those things is, is um, disenfranchising them. Um, from the other side, from the contemplative side, I've got two of my favorite books. And since contemplative is between Orthodox and Catholic, I've got a Catholic and an Orthodox book for you. Uh, so the first one is The Practice of the Presence of God. Uh, this is by Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a, was a monk who worked in the kitchen his entire life. Uh, mostly he was the pot scrubber in the kitchen of the monastery his entire life. And this book is letters that people started writing back and forth with Brother Lawrence where he explained to them what does it look like to to scrub dishes and know that Jesus is right there with you, right, right there beside you. Um, the other book is by Frederica Matthews Green. It's called The Illumined Heart. The book is fantastic. So she talks about what, what, what does it look like to, to live out the faith of the ancient Christians. Repentance and, uh, and, and prayer and, uh, and soul friendship and all of those things. Fantastic book. Okay, the other, the, the other end of this is going to be the liberal and the conservative. This is, on, this, is, this is on the stop and go. Now, I'm not interested, remotely interested, in talking about politics here, okay? Politics is the other spectrum. The other spectrum tells us that we need to be engaged in giving voice to people that don't have voices. Um, that's, that's what Christians have done from the very beginning. It's what they continue to do. They care for the people that, that, that are forgotten and left on the wayside. Liberal and conservative has to do with how does the church move forward? Does the church need to move forward being, does the church move forward in a static way or does the church move forward in a dynamic way? So this is the, the, the stop and go. Because being a conservative is ultimately about pursuing stability, okay? not being interested in change. Whereas, uh, where, whereas the, the liberal side of it, and this is the, what, what I'm using the words the way that they are supposed to be used, not as you know, words that describe a, a political faction of one kind or another. So, so the liberal side is about innovation. Now we can apply those concepts of stability and innovation to anything that we do in the church ever, okay? When we talk about like the way that we do Bible study on Wednesday nights, there's a way to, to do that with stability, and there's a way to innovate when we do that. Uh, when we do dinner on Wednesday nights, we can we we have we can we can approach that through a lens of stability or through a lens of innovation. Uh, when we have a new worship service, when we have a, a project that we're trying to accomplish, when we're talking about, I wanna I, I would like for us as a family to start doing uh, evening prayer when we're done with dinner. Well, are we gonna are is is, is it, is where does that fall on that spectrum between innovation and stability? Anglicans w can end up in that stability line, and that 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 sort of goes back to where, where I talked about the sanctity of worship becomes idolatrous. This this can this can absolutely be the same thing. We're not going to change anything. Nothing's ever going to be adjusted, and you you have to leave if you start talking about tweaking things. Um, on the liberal side of it, the innovator side, uh, we can we, we can we can innovate ourselves right out of historic Christianity. Does that make sense, mostly? Mm -hmm. Okay, so any questions about that material? And we covered a whole lot of stuff right there. You said the, the political side of things is more of the activist and contemplative. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, the way that Anglicans deal with, with, with politics, the questions about politics, is, is, is that. It's the activism versus contemplative. That's, um, and you're going to find Anglicans in every church that that run the gamut from you know from hardcore republican all the way out to you know crunchy hippie democrats um and anything in between most likely anglicans are going to fall somewhere in between um and that's the same thing is true here at saint aidan's you've got people who are you know staunch republicans people who are you know left field democrats and and everything in the middle um and that's that's perfectly normal for anglicans once upon a time, that was perfectly normal for every church in America. Mm -hmm. um, but factionalism sort of has taken over in the last 15 years or so. Um, and people seem to think that they can't, they can't pray to God together uh, if they believe different things about how tax codes ought to be formed. So you're going to try to give them advice, basically. Right. Like, okay, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell anyone who to vote for. That's on them. Right, exactly. I, I, I will tell people how, how I approach different issues. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we had, 
Uh, you know, we had a governor who who wanted to solve some of our financial problems by uh, by legalizing gambling. Um, you know, people have kicked around the idea of legalizing uh, medical marijuana. Um, people have have you know, there's lots of lots of different ways that people have come up with you know ways to deal with you know. But you know, like I, I as as a pastor, like I have per, I, I have I have a perspective on medical marijuana just like I have a perspective on you know. Um, uh, revising teachers' pensions. Both of those fall within the fall within that spectrum of are, are there people who are going to be put at risk? Are there people who are being taken advantage of when they when they don't have a voice of their own? Uh, you know, there's there, there's all of those things together. Um, you know, the last election was really tricky because it, it people kept coming down on the pro life. Um, whereas you know, for for an Anglican, we're going to say we're absolutely one hundred percent pro life for the whole life. Um, you know, and so that that means that that you know we're that that as a, a, a Catholic Christian, I have very strong beliefs about abortion and about euthanasia and about the death penalty and about uh, you know mass incarceration. All of these things about the way that we treat the poor, about healthcare. All of those things are things that are addressed by saying that we're created in God's image, and what we do to each other is a thing that we do to God. Um, yeah, and that changes those things. So, but I'm only going to talk to people about things in those terms. I'm, I, I, I feel like it's really dangerous to 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 sidle up with political powers. I, I just mm, it makes me super uncomfortable. So, um, the last thing I want to do, if if other Anglicans are listening to this, they're gonna they're gonna be beside themselves. But whatever. <laughs> Um, so if you if you'll turn to the next page, the one that's marked the 39 Articles of Religion and Overview, we're gonna we're gonna do a brief overview of the 39 Articles. Now the 39 Articles are are very old. They're they're connected with Anglicanism from from the very beginning. There 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 have been an increasing number of articles over the year that have been added over the years that were added to this until we arrived at the 39 Articles. But this is. Um, a statement of faith that gives us a snapshot of what the, the, the heart of Anglicanism is supposed to be. And I say that because, and because there are two ways that people talk about the church. Um, you know, especially the way that I grew up, the church is this local body of people, um, and, and it's, it, it's, it, it's a way that God accomplishes the, thing that, the things that God is trying to accomplish. On the other side of that, you have, you, you have the, the idea that creation itself exists to bring the church into being, that, that the church was always the intention, that, that what God wanted from the very beginning was a community of people who were gathered a, a, around him, um, or as we have on the, on the board behind me, the God's original and final intent is the people of God in the place of God in the presence of God. Um, that that was the, the that was the intention from the very beginning, and that's worked out through uh, through Abraham. That's worked out through Abraham's family. It's worked out through the Jewish people, and now it's worked it, it's worked out through the church. But this community of God's people was always intended, um, and so that's why I, I use those phrases: instrumental versus ontological. Some people will look at the church and say the church is. Uh, is is the way that God that, that God enacts what God is trying to do in the midst of His creation. Uh, the ontological side of that is is going to say that the church is not what it does. The church is what it is. That the church itself is God's kingdom. The places where God's church, God's people are, are the places where God's kingdom is happening. And that's why we use that phrase Catholic over and over again. Uh, because because we're intending to say that the church is universal. Now there are lots of ways of being church. There are lots of ways of being Christian. Our way is the Anglican way. There is the Orthodox way of being Christian. There's the Lutheran way of being Christian. There's the Roman way of being Christian. Um, you know, there's there's various and and sundry Protestant ways of being Christian. But all of those together are are pointing us toward this 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 central thing. This we're we're pointing toward this goal of of becoming a, a part of God's kingdom, of being God's kingdom, uh, in in the world around us. So what does it look like for us to follow that Anglican way? That's what Anglicans have been fighting about for a very, very long time. What does it look like for Anglicans to be Anglicans? What does that Anglican stream, that Anglican way of being Christian look like? Now, we talked about what it doesn't look like on, on the board behind me. So we're, we're not 
We're, we're, we're both Catholic and evangelical. We're both charismatic and orthodox. We're, we're a little bit of all of these things. We're somewhere in between those. Anglicans historically didn't use that language. They, they used the language of the 39 articles, which you have to remember that in, in, if you think back to our discussion at, at our last meeting, that, that there were constant competing worldviews. You, uh, you had Puritan voices that were coming in from, from, uh, from Scotland. You had, um, you had Calvinist reformed voices that were coming in from the continent of Europe. And you constantly had, uh, had, had powerful voices coming out of the Roman Catholic Church. The, the Eastern Church didn't really have a voice um, at, at this time. You have all of those voices competing with each other. Uh, and, and you can imagine what it would be like to be a, a ruler, a, a leader of, 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 of a country, and have all of these constant voices constantly uh, arguing amongst themselves about, about what to do. So, so Elizabeth's response was to get everyone together and say, you guys don't get to leave until you've sorted this out. Uh, what is it going to look like to be a Christian in England? What, 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 what does it mean to be an English kind of a Christian? Um, and out of that dialogue that she began, eventually over the next hundred years, emerged what we have as the, the Articles of Religion. So in the book that you've got, this is the 1979 prayer book from the Episcopal Church in the U.S. This, this book has a section that they refer to as the Historical Documents of the Church. I love this section. They're fantastic. It has all of the historical documents. If you want to read something delightful, on page 866, you will find the preface to the first prayer book. This is the, the preface to the prayer book written by Thomas Cranmer, and it is amazing. He explains why, why Anglicans are going to be people of, of, of the prayer book, and it is a, a wonderful thing. But right next to that, you have the Articles of Religion. So we're going to talk briefly about some of these articles because they address some hot-button theological issues and probably we're going to have time next at our next meeting to get into some of those those major issues. Um, so section so articles one through eight talk about what it means to to have a, to, to have orthodox Christian faith. We believe in the Holy Trinity. We believe uh, that, that Jesus was was both is, is the word of God. He is fully God and also that he is fully man, uh, that he died for us and he was buried and so he went down into hell, that he was raised bodily from, from death uh, and that he ascended into heaven. We believe that the Holy Spirit uh, is one substance, majesty, and glory with the Father and the Son. We believe, and this, this is important, Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation so that Whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not required of any man, as it should be believed as an article of faith or necessary to salvation. I, as a priest, cannot tell you that you have to come to confession in order to receive the Eucharist. Now, there are other churches, other faith traditions, where they would say that, 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 that apart from that. But we, as Anglicans, would say it's absolutely uh it, it it's absolutely beneficial to to heart and soul to receive confession and to hear words of absolution spoken to you but it cannot it is not explicitly defined in scripture and it cannot be proved by scripture which means that i we don't find we don't find it referred to in scripture or commanded in scripture and so i can't i, I can't say that that's an article of faith it can be a holy practice and we'll talk about holy practices in just a minute uh, but Holy Scripture contains everything necessary for salvation. Now, we, I, I think that we talked maybe our first week about, about Sola Scriptura. And um, did we talk about that? I think we talked about that. So we, don't, we don't use that phrase. We don't talk about Scripture alone or Scripture being uh, uh, infallible or, 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 or that. We use this phrase that Scripture contains everything necessary for salvation. And then we list the canonical books. And of course, then at the end, we have books that we, after those canonical books of the Old and New Testament, the Old Testament, uh, we have books that we read for example of life and instruction of manner, which means behavior, uh, but we don't apply them to establish any doctrine. All right. And those are the books that we would refer to as the Apocrypha. So then we talk about the Old Testament is not contrary to the New. That's important. We talk about the creeds that we accept, the Nicene Creed, that which is commonly called the Apostles' Creed, ought to be believed. 
Um, and the article that was, a, the article originally also referred to the Athanasian Creed, which we don't include in our, in our formularies now, um, only because we know it wasn't a creed by Athanasius, uh, that it was, it, it showed up in, in Spain and southern France uh, much, much later, some, sometime in the 8th or 9th century. Um, it's a much, much later edition. Okay, so those are the first, the, the first eight articles, all right? Those talk about, um, about the, the, the essentials of, of Orthodox Christian faith. The, the next big chunk of the articles uh, is, is 9 through 18, and these are going to talk about sin and justification, about personal religion, about what it means for us to be converted. Couple of these that I want to I, I want to point out original birth so you guys can read through these I'm, I'm not going to read through all of them I just want to touch on a few on a few points yeah we we believe in uh, in free will but not that we have the ability to please God with our own actions uh, we believe that people are born uh, sinful that that is uh, that is an effect of the fall. Uh, we believe that people are only accounted righteous before God because of and through the work of Jesus Christ. Um, that our good works that we complete after we, we, we come to Christ and belong to him are pleasing and acceptable to God, but that they are not laying up any treasures for us. Uh, we, don't, we don't do good things because we think that we're going to get something out of them. We do good things because those are the things that we're commanded to do. That's what it looks like for us to look like Christ. Uh, is to do the things that we have we have seen Christ doing. Uh, some of these are dealing with with abuses that were going on at the time of of, of their original writing. I believe that Christ was made like us in everything except in sin. Works of suppurgation. We don't, we don't we're not even going to get into that. Sinning after you are baptized does not cause you to lose your salvation, as some Protestant uh, groups at that time taught and continued to teach. So long. Mm-hmm. That like I went to a play called Heaven's Gates Hell's Flames. Oh. And it was like, are you sure if you died tonight you go to heaven? So I lived under this oppression mm -hmm. of like if I died and I sinned right before I died, I was going to hell. Right. And I was like, yep. So mm -hmm. that, that was very frustrating, not frustrating, but like mm -hmm. scary, I guess. Yeah, we say repentance it, it will not may not be denied to anyone who falls into sin after baptism. After we have received the Holy Ghost, we may depart from that grace and fall into sin. But by the grace of God, we rise again. And there's this question that is, is, always comes up, which is the question of predestination and election. Here's what's interesting about this. Anglicans absolutely believe in predestination and election. Anglicans firmly and vocally disagree on whether or not that applies to persons or that applies if that applies to individuals or if that applies to the church as a whole um, that's where the debate is going to be there there is no other name given on heaven or uh, given in heaven or on the earth by which we may be saved other than jesus christ that's it that's oop, that's the end of that so from 19 until 31 it talks about what it mean how, how does the anglican how is the anglican church structured Okay, so where does the authority of the church come from? Uh, there's, there's a whole section on the general councils, and then there's a rejection of some other doctrines that, that emerged after that point. So, um, so the, the use of the sacraments. 24 is sort of interesting. The speaking to the congregation in a tongue as the people understandeth. Some people read this nowadays as, as being a prohibition against speaking in tongues. That's not what they're talking about. What, what they're saying is that it is plainly repugnant to the Word of God and the custom of the early church to have public prayer in the church or minister in a sacrament in a tongue not understand it of the people. Uh, because at this time it was normal for the Mass to only be done in Latin. So all of the prayers were done in Latin. People had to, had to fake the Latin. They would often call it pig Latin. Um, they, they would, or, or pigeon Latin, they would, they would fake the sounds to go along with the prayers, but they didn't know what they were saying or what it meant. They'd never received any catechism. Uh, that, was, that was normal in the, in, in the 14th through the, the 17th century uh, in, a, in a Roman church. So of the sacraments, we believe that there are two sacraments that were ordained by, by Christ. That's baptism and the supper. And there are five other sacraments that are received by the church, confirmation, penance, uh, holy orders, matrimony, and, and extreme unction, or we would refer to that as the, uh, the 
uh, prayers for the sick. Um, the unworthiness of a minister does not hinder the sacraments. The sacraments don't, don't depend on my holiness. I don't have super secret awesome powers. Um, God does what God does in our community because the community is there to pray. It has nothing to do with my holiness. It has to do with your faith. We'll talk about this next time, uh, about baptism and, and the Lord's Supper, um, because there, there, it's just too much to get into today. I have to offer both kinds. You don't have to receive both kinds. People often ask that, especially during flu season. Um, you know, people are like, we get, you know, do we have to share a common cup? No, you don't. You can just take the bread. Uh, we believe that, that we, we don't, I have to offer both. As, as an Anglican, I'm canonically required to offer both. Uh, but no one has to receive that. We believe that Christ is, is equally present uh, in, with, and under both the, 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 the host and, and the wine. So if somebody had celiac disease, I would tell them, just take the wine. We, I would probably set aside a separate cup for them because it's easy for, for people to transfer some of those proteins on, on their hands or on their mouths. So we would, we would consecrate out of one cup and then separate the cups. Uh, but we'll get into that next week. Sorry, that's being distracted. Right. Right. Yeah, if there's any dietary requirements, you come and talk to me and we will work it out. So then I'm trying to think because they have the gluten-free communion stuff separate. Is that kind of what... what you would do, or would that be? Is that celiac disease? Is that, yeah. Okay. Celiac disease is, okay. is when somebody, yeah, is it has has an. Allergic to a wheat protein. Oh, we'll go on. Okay, we'll go on that later. Yeah. We'll go on that after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if somebody has an actual disease where they can't process those, then we'll we would work something out. Got it. Easy. Um, but like, I don't, I I don't eat sugar. I I don't I, I don't eat wheat anymore. Uh, I still eat the host. Uh, during during communion, like that's, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about that stuff next week. Um, okay, the rest of this is uh, 30, 32 through the end has to do with like specific things that came up at that at, at this time in Anglicanism. So, what traditions of the church are to be retained? What what homilies are there that that establish our faith uh, that they're central to our belief? What power do do the the political people have. Um, so, it's, so it's problems that came out of Romanism and also problems that came out of Puritanism. Um, both of those had different ways of, of, of doing government in, in the realm of England. And so this is, this is intended to address both of those things. I encourage you to go and, and read through the 39 articles because they are central to our faith. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.